Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello there, sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Hello, welcome back to Fighting on Film. This week, we leave the films over to you, our amazing Patreon supporters who have voted Anzio for this month's Patreon pick. You heard Matt at the start of the show there in the ident that we roll every week. If you want to get involved in the show and pick a film, Patreon's the way to do it. So stick with us as we wade up the water and onto the beachhead to attack this one head on. See what I did there, Matt? Anzio. I see it. Uh, that was that was slick. That was good. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like we're writers, isn't it? You know, <laughs> it's almost like we do this. 140 Every... episodes in and we're finally getting, know, getting right? to the stride there. <laughs> yeah. I can finally write some prose. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'll start off with production this week. So the shooting of Anzio started in May 1967 and it was shot on location in Italy, in Anzio itself, Rome and Taranto. Uh, the, the shot of Rome filled with troops at the very end was at the time reported to be one of the biggest scenes ever shot in the city. And I've got to admit, that is a good scene. You don't see much of it, though. Blink and you'll miss it. Yeah, I mean, that's great for them, but more, more on that later. It's in there. Boy, it be a film. Um, a co-Italian. I must sure actually, is. before we go on, I must say that uh, this week's Patreon pick, Anzio, was one of my picks. Um, it was. If anyone out there wants to go through the Patreon pick episodes, and that'd be a bit of a slog, but if anyone out there wants to do like a league table, because I want to see how many of my picks and Matt's picks have been chosen. That's a good point, actually. Have like a little league. I feel like me ma- throwing Hornblower in the ring for like 
eight might weeks, have, yeah. It might have tipped the balance. Kind of, I don't know whether it's quite that long. We need, have, we need yeah. a Patreon pick league for the end of the year. We do something fun with it. If we knew... Yeah, I know we, you've put 12, so, uh, 12 soldiers in. like 12 strong. Time, you know. Yeah, because I quite like How that. strong that's it. It's the soldiers. only war film that I think has a Carhartt brand like advert in it. It's oh, wow. very odd. Okay. Um, Just because you're entering your Carhartt phase. <laughs> Less anyway, said about, production. Less said about my fashion, the better. Um, so, as I said, it's a co-Italian and American production with Dino De Laurentiis, uh, his own studio, um, serving as a production company. He's you know, a really famous producer. He was the film's producer on this one. Um, and Columbia Pictures acted as its distributor um, overseas. And it's directed by the two-time Oscar-nominated Edward Dimitrik from The Kane Mutiny, you know, famous film. We need to do that one day. It's one of the, yeah, one of the best. Yeah, totally. Um, supposedly the film that Michael Caine took his Caine moniker from. I heard that, yeah. Apparently, that yeah. Something about him going to do something and he, he'd seen the Caine mutiny on a billboard or something and he, and he went for that. That's a nice bit of trivia. Um, but Dimitri himself also directed a couple more war films. He did Behind the Rising Sun in 1943 that also starred a very young Robert Ryan um, and Back to Bataan, which is a John Wayne film, um, mm-hmm. and The Young Lions in 1958, and he wrote about working on the film uh, and his relationship with the producer and shooting the film in his 1978 memoir, It's a Hell of a Life, But Not a Bad Living. So uh, this is uh, one of his recollections. Then I was shooting a short scene in a landing craft. The soldiers were crammed inside, guns slung over their shoulders. I was about to turn the camera when I noticed that one of the guns resembled a pretzel. A closer, inspe- a closer inspection showed all our guns were made of rubber. I resorted to screaming again, a technique I'd relearned when I started shooting Anzio. I was told that Dino had an argument with our gun supplier and would refuse to meet his terms. I sat down in my chair and said I'd start shooting when we had proper weapons. Sometime after lunch, we were back at work. Still, there were days when we marched been onto ships, complete with tanks, troop carriers and onlookers with the troops parading down the Via Dan San Giorgio, through the Arch of Constantine and around the Colosseum, and later on the same day, marching around the Forum. All in all, it wasn't a bad show. Maybe that explains why like the forty percent U.S. soldiers in this film have SMLEs. Yeah, it's an odd choice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've never seen I, so many. Yeah, but then I read hands. about those. Those there were some Americans that did use SMLEs for like once or twice. Is, is it a bit of jury's I've, out on that yeah, one? Is it? There's something on the internet that says, yeah, it, it when logistics required it, and I'm like, I don't know for any instances I've seen, where that's happened. I've, I have to I've, go through some see, more I'm not, I'm not, for that one. I've seen, and this, you're going to, everyone's going to be like, oh, it's Osprey art. But I've seen an Osprey book with a guy with an SMLE number four, Great. sorry, with a number four Lee Enfield with an American arrow belt. I think he's the actual regiment that um, Falk is. Falk's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. So that might, there might be something in there, maybe. Maybe the Canadian connection, they were supplied yeah, SMLEs. Okay. Special, special services thing. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Anyway. Back, back to the production. No Side tracking early this week. Um, Italian director Giulio Coletti also worked on the film. Um, he's best known for uh, 1954 Submarine Attack, which is an Italian production. He also produced a number of spaghetti war films, such as Full Gore Division in 1954 and Hell Raiders of the Deep in 1942 about Italian frogmen. There was some on-set tension, apparently, between Falk and Mitchum. Uh, George Siegel was told by Peter Falk that he found it hard to confront Mitchum after receiving a tirade of anti-Semitic abuse from him. Um, not the first time I've heard Grump... Uh, Mitchum being a bit of a difficult person, 
Yeah, um, Falk doesn't mention that in his actual uh, memoir. No, he doesn't know either. I, looked I, through. I looked if Seagal had said anything about it online. I couldn't find anything. I wonder um, what the source is then, because I, I know mm, that's on um, on one or two film trivia sites. Yeah, it's on IMDb. That's where I found it. So I went yeah, backwards. and Because that's what annoys me with IMDb. You don't have to cite your source. You can. It's just curated is done, isn't it? The eternal problem. Oh, you know, we're historians, know. so we're like... That's Damn not good, I'm afraid. Where's your primary source? <laughs> we need some sources. Um, that's interesting I because I, Falk doesn't mention it in his, his um, no. biography. He he dedicates a small chapter to the film. Um, and most of it, he, he's talking about his interactions with the producer you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, one of the interesting things about the film before we move on away from production, this probably fits in quite well. I'm nearly finished um, with production. Nearly there. Um, so Falk initially got offered this offered the the role mm. apparently um before the script was completely finished, and he spoke to a writer and they gave him an outline at the part, and he hated it. Yeah. So he said he turned it down, said no. Um. Fast forward six months, he gets offered the role again, um, and he's promised that there's been a complete rewrite. The script is all you know been refreshed, been tweaked. Um. So he agrees to do the role. Uh, at the behest of his agent um so he flies all the way to to rome gets back in gets into his um his hotel room finds a script on 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 the desk picks it up reads it falls asleep hating it wakes up the next morning double checks reads it again still hates it um and he says it wasn't interesting the characters were all cliches i fell asleep the next morning the first thing i checked was the script my reaction, second time reading it, was the same as the first. My part was lousy, old hat, nothing to act. My part was lousy, nothing to act. Wait, wait, a, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. Just, just one more thing about this script thing. Oh, Sorry. he literally did do. He, he literally did do that to 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 Laurentiis. He, was, <laughs> he, just, he did it. He, he just one yeah. more thing. <laughs> just had the um, script in his hand, walking out that trailer or that hotel room. Just one more thing. With, God, we can't you can't mention Peter Falk without mentioning Columbo. They, they're hand yeah. in hand, aren't they? Exactly. Um, no, but it's really interesting, you know, how you apparently and then apparently he rewrote a lot of his own dialogue. Yep. So yeah. he had this massive interaction with De Laurentiis where um he actually drove him to the airport because he came into his office, said, I'm going home, my mm. flight's at one. And and Dino offered to like drive him to the airport. And while he was on the way, Dino was flicking through the script. All right, this is all calling to fault. <laughs> looking through the script going like mm, yeah we can change this we can change that um and finally he just turns around to to uh to peter and says what do you actually want and and please Falk, don't get on that plane please probably like he, he he describes himself as like blurting out i'll write it myself Amazing. he said do you want another writing he's like i'll write it myself <laughs> um and in his uh biography um he, he kind of like talks about this in a little bit more depth he says i felt stalled and i wasn't sure if i'd ever break out of what i felt was an increasing rut Uh, i'd been in films for nearly a decade and the parts were simply weren't coming the way i'd hoped i was working steadily but creatively but hardly creatively Uh, i was on the verge of being typecast although not one to despair i'd begun to have serious doubts about the direction i was heading those feelings however didn't last because along came the interesting part of a police lieutenant called Columbo. My life would never be the same again. <laughs> Love it. That's great. Because it is, it is literally the same year. So Columbo starts in 68 and runs all the way through yeah. to like 2002, yeah. whatever it was. It's in insane. this film, all roads may lead to Rome. 
But for Falk, all roads led to Colombo. There you go. Ooh. <laughs> Smooth Ooh, this you week. You have that on your notes, Rob. You've written oh, no, that down prior. Was that off, off the, the top dome, of that one. That's Ooh. a choir original. Off the dome. Ooh. So getting back to production. Uh, cinematographer was the Oscar-nominated and BAFTA-winning Giuseppe Rotono, whose work includes 1959's On the Beach and 1961 The Best of Enemies, which stars David Ooh. Niven. It's quite a good film, that one. Uh, obviously he did a lot more in his career. Um, won an Oscar for all that jazz and I think it's the don't quote me late 60s early 70s um but we just you know we cover the war films on this on this show uh music by oscar nominated and grammy winning composer riz ortolani uh, known for his scores on westerns and horrors uh, credits for war movies include the seventh dawn 1964 which is a rare malayan emergency flick um mm-hmm. 1970s the mckenzie break and the george papard film from 1979 called from hell to victory um, the film itself is actually based on a 1961 book called Anzio, written by British war correspondent Winford Vaughan Thomas, who spent the duration of the Anzio campaign there. Um, I kind of wish the movie had kept him, or kept a version of him at least, as the main character and not made him American. Yeah, I agree. kind of wish that. Obviously, I haven't had a chance to read the book, so I don't know how far no. the film moves away from it, but I feel like it probably... Well, that's the, the book's more of an overview of, like, what, obviously mm. what he did and the campaign itself. Um, yeah. I feel like, the, as we'll talk about later, I feel like the film has a fair crack at it. Um, yeah, it, it tries to, like, hit the beats of the campaign, doesn't yeah. it? And trying to explain some of the failings and stuff. But In its yeah. own kind of way, yeah. yeah. Um, it's released on July 24th, 1968 in the US and early August 1968 in the UK. It was actually called The Battle for Anzio here. Um, box office was 1.4 million, was unable to find a budget this week. Sometimes it happens. Um, and the retro review this week comes from the New York Times, uh, written by Vincent Carnaby from July 25th, 1968. And I've chopped it up a bit, but it's uh, I think I have to read quite a long section for you to get what he, how he felt. So the review headline is called Standard Warfare. And he uh, goes on to say, Anzio is a very ordinary war movie with an epic title. Uh, produced by Dino De Laurentiis, the Italian producer um, who thinks big but often produces small. Once his troops have made their landings, the story narrows down to their standard one of a, to a standard one of a small patrol caught behind enemy lines. Completely ignored by the screenplay, screenplay by Harry A. L. Craig, um, is a dramatisation of the actual ordeal at Anzio, the bad weather that first delayed the landings and then the grounded air support planes and the fierce attacks and counterattacks that dragged out for four months. As if to remedy this oversight, Robert Mitchum, as the journalist attached to the Lost Patrol, at one point asks a peasant woman, do you know what's happening at Anzio? She doesn't. Mitchum, who even here walks as if he'd just got off a horse, is the most unlikely war correspondent since Lena Turner covered the Japanese invasion of the Philippines in Somewhere I'll Find You. Okay. He didn't like it. He no, was, he didn't, did he? he? He later on went on to say that Dimitri's directing is one track. Uh, he was very scathing. Very, he, he tails off in Man after my own heart. Hating it. But interesting. But on to the one word reviews before we get on to cast. And it was a mixed bag this week, um, very much um, like last week, um, I think. So uh, Paul Woodage of World War Two TV, we haven't heard from you for a while, Paul. He says, Mamma Mia, um, the night Irish goes with Healy Less, Jem uh, Dudaku uh, goes with Bloated. Adam Hughes says easy watch, two words, but you know, makes sense. Our own historical firearms, Matthew Moss, says mid. 
Um, that's a, uh, that's a, a new slang word for something that's a bit mediocre. Um, lost in translation goes with I should do a rewatch. And then he also went with hashtag Falk. Uh, Brian Williams goes with flawed. Ian McKellen says parody. And Ramosoff this week, uh, Tim Selby goes with snipers. Yeah, yeah, pretty interesting field there. Um, mm. Some descriptive, some reactionary, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think I think as well, there were a few I didn't read out, but it is very much like a you either like it or you don't. Yeah. Um, it depends what you want from a film. I want a more from this, <laughs> really. Um, I think it's a bit middling. Um, so do I. It's kind of why I chose it, because it's interesting. You know, it's it's in a weird vein of war movies where it's about a campaign that doesn't get much love in, in terms true. of screen time. True. You know, the most Italian war films you get are Italian-made productions in the 60s and 70s that are part mm. of the spaghetti warfare genre. There's some great ones that stand out, like Four Days in Naples or Rome yeah. Open City. Now, they spring to mind. But there's not really a one about the US Army's experience or the... British's experience, you can pin your hat on. There's a miracle at Santana. Oh, there's even there's even a German Italian one um that's about the paratroopers in Monte Cassino. Yes, that is quite good actually. The sequences mm. of that are Monte Cassino at least are quite well done. Yeah, but there's Miracle at Santana we talked about last week. Yeah. Um but there's a, and there's actually a, a 60s series that was done as like a, a sort of a sister show to combat, which is called The Gallant Men. Um, which is about the US in Italy. Um, and that was devised by Robert Altman, actually. Found oh, okay. out today. Okay. Yeah, and there's a there's a war correspondent character in that that hits the beaches with the main cast. I watched a bit of it earlier. Um it's quite looks quite good. You know, they do some nice stock footage cutting in and cutting out, which they didn't do in this. Um oh. but anyway, that's getting off track again. But yeah, it's um it's an interesting piece anyway. Um but maybe Matt, you should tell us the cast before we go any further. So just to round up the cast, I, there's a, a few, but the, the principal, you know, mm. actors in this are we got Robert Mitchum and and Peter Falk as the uh, the, the top of the bill. Uh, Mitchum plays Dick Ennis, a war correspondent. So that's a bit of a uh, a revisit of the story of GI Joe. There, yeah, a ways um, from 1945, where he, he obviously famously portrayed uh, Annie Pyle. Um. Oh, no, Mitchum didn't play Paul, did he? It was a, it was a, um, a Burgess Meredith. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I misheard you there. <laughs> no, I think the way I said it was a bit ambiguous. I yeah, was like saying, sorry. It's, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't even cut you <laughs> off there, but I was like, hang on. No, no, you know, I, I you're quite right. I was a little, I was a bit ambiguous. Chuffing like, the door that like film. <laughs> It yeah. sounded like I was saying that any power was played by Mitchum. No, he's, he he's a, uh, Mitchum's a sergeant in it. I forget the sergeant's yeah. name, but yeah, yeah. Uh, his only Mitchum's... Oscar nominated role, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, uh, Mitchum's good at playing that kind of role, and oh yeah, brilliant. I mean, we'll talk more about what what he's like in this film later he's on. He's like but... John Wayne in this. Doesn't it doesn't work? He's no, stiff. there's something there's something not quite clicking, is there? Yeah, you want you want a war correspondent like the war correspondent out of Objective Burma that guy mm. you want someone a little bit more aloof a little bit more sort of not not right Mitchum looks like he could be playing a commanding officer or a grizzled sergeant in this like he he doesn't come across as a war correspondent I know some were gruff but that worked for me sorry Matt 
So uh, let's just run through some of his prior war movie credits. We've got Aerial Gunner 1943, Corvette K225 in 43 as well, and Minesweeper in 43 as well. Uh, mentioned a moment ago, Story of G.I. Joe, um, One Minute to Zero in 1952, Ever Knows Mr. Allison 1957, The Enemy Below, which we've covered on the show before, and we, we quite like Mitchum in that one. Oh, he's great um, in 1957. that, yeah. uh, The Hunters in 1958. Longest Day in 62, Midway in 76, Breakthrough in 79, and then he had those two miniseries, those big uh, miniseries in the 80s, uh, The Winds of War and Remembrance. Um, and then, of course, mentioned earlier that the, the other top billing for the film is, is Peter Falk mm-hmm. uh, as Corporal Jack Rabinoff. Um, he was in Attack and Retreat in 1964, Castle Keep in 1969, and Operation Snafu in 1970. Um, so not a great many war movie roles for for him, but Some I think ones, Castle Keep's an interesting one. We should do that. It is. Soon. We need, definitely need to carry cover it because I mean, there's there's a whole load in this week's um, cast that was like, oh, we need to cover that. Oh, we need mm. to cover that. Um, yeah. But as as I mentioned earlier, he was very aware of not wanting to be typecast, which is kind of ironic that he would come to be known for a, a you know such an iconic role as Columbo yeah, and that yeah. really did typecast him and he I guess was happy it's in that role. What you want to be typecast as, you know. Yeah, perhaps so. Um, yeah. then we got Robert Ryan um giving it a full day's work with uh the role of Lieutenant General Carson. Um he's in it for all of like two scenes. One of them yeah. is my favorite. Picking up his um, check. There's, there's there's one where he's like on a giving a press briefing as they board the ships before they head to uh to, to begin the landings which is a nice little scene he, he looks um, like he's still in the costume that he was wearing in battle of the bulge like even down to like the neckerchief like it's mm, really a weird go and go yeah. and see him in battle of the bulge look up a photo then look up a photo it's like the costume it's... designer was just like <laughs> screw it we'll just put him exactly just, in that maybe it was the same guy they just had the same costume Could've been. Could've been. like ah, that's an easy day don't have to have a fit in <laughs> Uh, Ryan's roles include uh, Behind the Rising Sun in 1943, The Iron Major in the same year, Marine Raiders in 44, Flying Leathernecks in 51, uh, Men in War 1957. Men I think we've covered war. that one. Men in War. Uh, Gavin in The Longest Day, of course, 1962. Yes. Uh, Battle of the Bulge in 65, Dirty Dozen in 67, uh, Custer of the West, same year, Anzio 68, and The Wild Bunch in 1969. Is is so, he US Percy Herbert the amount of war films he's in? Kind of is, and of course Ooh. the professionals, which you know, yeah, he it was counts. underused in. It came massively, yeah. He was old by that point. Yeah, well, he's only no, like, hang like on. no, he's, he's only older like two in years this. older. Yeah, yeah, hang on, he seems older in that though, because it was yeah, mm, yeah. Okay. I think they try and make his character feel that way. Yeah, yeah. I think the yeah. quality of the film I watched this week was worse than this one like my dvd is great quality so really yeah 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 then we've got um l holliman as uh sergeant abe uh stimler and he was in destination gobi in 53 bridges of toka re armored command in 1961 and lots and lots of westerns um very recognizable face if you've ever watched a western yeah very uh, i was trying to place him forever and i went on the IMDb, I was like, oh, I've seen that Western. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. We need to do some military-focused Westerns, I think. We can do enough of them. Yeah. This, there's a ton, and there's some great ones as well. Uh, we've got Mark Damon as Private Wally Richardson. 
Uh, he was in Screaming Eagles in 1956, Longest Day in 62, Shortest Day in 1963, another That's Italian film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then perhaps most influentially, he was you know, quite a prominent producer, producing Bat 21, Stalingrad 1993, Wow, Gas Boot, Lone Survivor, and The Last Full Measure. So he was either producer or executive producer what, on a lot of those movies. What a career turner. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, wow. some really influential stuff. Yeah. Um, then we've got Arthur Kennedy as Major Jack uh, Leslie, who's pretty much definitely based on um, Major General Lucas. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a four-time Oscar nominee. Um, yeah. He was in They Died With Their Boots on the Air Force in 1943 and had a, had a role in uh, Lawrence of Arabia as well. Um, mm. He brings he brings glints of that Oscar capability, yeah, he but does. he's not got... A lot of what he's this, doing this is exposition. isn't isn't there, really, yeah. you know. True. And you can tell from Falk, I think, was from what you want to know about the script from Falk's diet, from, yeah. from Falk's biography. It's um, not as strong as it could be. And then when it wants to try and be stronger, it kind of can't do it. Like the end mm. speech is a little bit hackneyed yeah. and like cliche, but yet he contradicts himself right at the end when he says about like men enjoy killing, but then like, oh, but they don't. And I'm like, what? It's confusing. I'm like, what do yeah. you actually mean here, Robert? Like, you were shooting someone like two seconds ago. <laughs> like, you could... <laughs> and I'll do it again. I'll kill again. Like, I was like, what are you trying to say, Robert? Like, you're you're a <laughs> yeah. war correspondent. Arthur Kennedy's there. Like, what? What's going on? <laughs> What's this what? bloke going on about? <laughs> um. Anyway, no, that man, that, that, you know, <laughs> the, the character has just spent four months losing. You know. The initiative in Anzio. He's, he's had all the things to think about between yeah. the point when he had that conversation with Robert yeah. Mitchum on the boat before they landed. Bloke wants a cup and of tea and a cigarette and, and quietly scuttled back to America. We've got Wolfgang Priest as uh, General Field Marshal Albert Kesselring. Um, he has a list of war movie credits, which I would happily cover every single one of them. Because there's some really fascinating stuff in there. Do it then. We hear the listenership <laughs> cry. <laughs> <laughs> so we got Can- um, Canaris 1954, the plot to assassinate Hitler in 55, um, the Green Devils at Monte Cassino in 58. That's yes. the German Falsch um, um, Jäger uh, movie mm-hmm. about uh, Monte Cassino. Um, Stalingrad Dogs, Do You Want to Live Forever in 1959, an early Stalingrad movie. Um, an early German Stalingrad movie, uh, Lafayette, an early uh, American Revolution movie, 1961, uh, Longest Day, The Train, Von Ryan's Express, Is Paris Burning, The Battle of the Commandos, Raid on Rommel, where he plays Rommel, um, The Standard, which sounds like a really interesting movie. It's about the end of the uh, First World War, where there's a unit of Austrian cavalry that Ooh. don't want to surrender their their um, their standard, their flag. So they, you know, they refuse to surrender and go all the way back to Vienna and ceremonially burn their flag. Wow, that sounds good. Yeah, sounds interesting, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, A Bridge Too Far as well in 1977. So yeah, he has an absolutely fascinating He's you know, really good in this, by the way. That he, he is. The scene he's in is his, one of the most interesting. The two scenes <laughs> that we get of him, he's great. Like Really but, good. Uh, before we finish, I've got to mention that the two appearances of Brits in the the kind of shoehorned in there. We've got Anthony Steele as um, Major General Marsh. Um, he's a veteran, uh, served with the Guards and the Paras during the war. Um, oh, wow. Finished the war as a Major. 
Um, he was in The Wooden Horse in 1950, The Planter's Wife uh, in 1952. Albert Two Malaya films this week, guys. Christ. I know. Is, is that Malaya? Is that, or is it uh, Malaya? Malaya. Is it? Yeah. That's right, yeah. I'm thinking of the um, the other one that... Yes, but it's got the, the. You know the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of, of it's, just, it's just you know uh, uh, Hawkins on a brain. Can't wait to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Sea Shall Not Have Them in '54, Storm Over the Nile in '55, uh, The Black Tent in '56, and Massacre in Rome in 1973. And then the other very recognisable Brit character actor that's next to him in in all of those sequences that they're in is uh, Patrick McGee, who plays uh, Major General Starkey. Um, and he was in uh, a prize of arms with uh, with with Stanley Baker. Yes, he's watching. Um, yeah. Uh, he was also Sergeant Reynolds in Zulu. Oh, okay, that's yeah. where his face was familiar. Yeah. Um, Cromwell, nineteen seventy. Young Winston, nineteen seventy two. And Barry uh, Lyndon, uh, nineteen seventy five. And he went with Kubrick on a number of occasions. <laughs> For a minute, my brain went. <laughs> Sorry, my brain went Barry Bannon, the, the, the Sheffield Wednesday midfielder. I was like, he was oh God, he hasn't had a film made about him. I was like, not yet. <laughs> oh, that's staying in. My brain oh was like Barry God. Bannon, like this little voice in the back of my back of my head it was like Bannon, and I was like, no, it's not right. Jesus Christ! Let's oh get on to the alley tally before we <laughs> before we disrail. We need to this stop recording at eleven o'clock at night. <laughs> Don't tell him, Matt. Don't tell him. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. So, Ali Tally, Matt, kick us off. Um, Yanks with SMLEs, we've already mentioned, but let's not forget about those Germans in those haystacks with those BARs and Brens. I love that. I absolutely adored that. Hated it. Hated it. Oh, so it was like dumb. something out of a western. It was brilliant. So fucking stupid. It was like something out of the Green Berets. I was expecting oh, to be like PC or something. Like it was, it was so. I love the sort of like whip transitions, the, the close-ups. It was really westerny. I love. Why it. does? Why do all of the the GIs run straight at the machine guns? <laughs> it's bizarre, like, isn't it? Had anyone ever watched a war movie? Anyone ever like? <laughs> 
vaguely had any military experience. <laughs> Dimitri is kind of saying about them rubber guns. He's just he's, he's had enough at this point. I think he's running straight for them. It's fantastic. Like, if you know, give me a fiver for every time that shot of four dudes <laughs> running towards a haystack with a machine gun in it was played. <laughs> Drink, drink every time someone runs at a firearm in this movie. Oh You'll be God. drunk before the. Is this film supposed to tell the story of Anzio mark. and the landings, and then the Battle of Cisterna, basically? That's it. Which, yeah, that's it. You know, Cisterna was a was a uh, obviously a massacre for the Rangers. Mm. Yeah, and that's what that sequence is depicting. Um, and you know what? You, have, have you ever seen Darby's Rangers um, from like fifty eight? With a bell. Oh, yeah, what's yeah, his yeah, name? Yeah, yeah. Um, forget the actor. Uh, it'll come back to. Uh, nope, gone. <laughs> but basically, that tells much of the same story, um, and kind of does the the scene a bit better, to be honest. Than it's right. in a studio. Okay. Um, I just thought it was ludicrous the way that they ran towards those those guns. The way it the was. way that it, <laughs> the way that they were like walking along and like, oh, we're really going to catch these Germans on on the hop. And then there's like a whip transition to a to a fucking haystack, and oh, it just falls forward. And then a dude pops like, up with it's a brain. Like when Anderson does does a sequence. Oh my god! Honestly, can we recut that and put like um, <laughs> some, the, some Wes Anderson music the, over it? In the Darjeeling Limited, just cuts around with Wilson to a to a, a machine gun haystack. That's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, what no, else I know what you there? mean, though. It was fun. Like, I thought that was fun. Um, oh, SMLEs, yeah. Galore. Like, again, I think Galore every week, but it's the way, way of doing it. But yeah, that must have been a... I found you loads of SMLEs to use. Um, yeah. It's not as jarring, though, because when it when it cuts to the smaller group of men, they've all got in one grand, so you don't really notice. They do. Really. They do have grands, which is is good. Um, mm. It's not like that great movie I watched the other week, um, Operation Overlord. Oh, Matt, yeah, crikey. It's not as bad as that. No. Um, but the but then, the, the, I was talking about SMLEs, the British troops look good when you see them. They're in their yeah. leather jerkins. They've got their Battle Order 37 pattern. There's some wish... nice inclusion of units in there. Yeah. I, I, you I have wish to they turned up again because the British did land at Antio and they're kind of written out of that a little bit. <laughs> That's one of the film's failings for me. Well, You've we're too busy these... <laughs> Robert Mitchum into a quarry. You go, I know they didn't land on the same... Like beaches and whatever, like you know, mixed together. But like, you could have had a little sequence of showing the British troops getting into landing craft at least. Like, do that. You know, yeah. You've got the guys yeah. on hand anyway. Um, one thing that I did enjoy: um, Peter Falk has uh, proper Thompson webbing. He's got a web like a Thompson pouch for for extra ammunition, extra oh, magazines. Okay. Um, that's nice because usually in these types of films, you just get a, a, a belt or a or a, a rifle belt. Nice little attention mm. to detail there. And then again, for the, for the uniform people, Buffs Among Us, uh, there's a nice mixture of M41 jackets, um, which is sort of like the uh, the nom. Not, not, it's not a jacket with extra pockets. Um, basically, it's like just like a, a plain jacket. Um, and their replacement, the M43 uniforms, which were actually trialled in Italy. So um, it's not completely wrong for them to have that, those kind okay. of uniforms. I don't know if they were issued en masse to the Rangers or the US in Italy. I think they might have been in small batches for testing, but it's not mm. wrong, wrong. So I quite liked it. Okay. Um, and yeah. And then I love that. I just love the trope of, of pattern tanks being used for Shermans and Panzers. I Classic. absolutely love it. Classic trope. Classic. Love it. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. One of the things I did like was the, the inclusion of the Brits 
and they marched past. And I think some Canadians as well, perhaps. And then uh, Falk Rabinoff character is from the first special service um, force, yeah. which is the uh, US Canadian sort of kind of special forces unit that was formed. Um, and a film focusing on rangers is interesting. Uh, but of course, obviously, Darby's rangers had done it a little bit before mm. as well. But yeah, there's not a lot of alley stuff in here. Yeah. The, the sniper um, rifles are cool. Oh yeah, the, they're like civilian hunting rifles. That, yeah, cool, that end sequence, my God. Oh. <laughs> we'll talk about uh, that later. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the, yeah so the, there is that sequence. And then the, the snipers have like a weird tunic on where they've got like camouflage. It's painted. And, I, I think it's painted on. I, but I then they have the standard epaulets. Yeah, which haven't been painted, and they've kind of gone so ne- far enough. Completely then... negate any, yeah, uh, camouflage that they're wearing. That scene confuses um, me every time I see it because I forget there's more than one sniper because they look so identical. Those guys. I think someone did mention the sniper twins. <laughs> sniper um, twins on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. There's like ten snipers in that sequence, but they don't seem it. Like it's weird. But that's probably because there was only one dude, and they <laughs> yeah. just like had they got their money's worth out of him. The poor yeah, guy. they really did. Um, and the, oh, the Germans are classic failed, failed ground Germans as well. Yeah. Like probably yeah. 60s, I think this is Gewehr ninety eight, like long yeah, Gewehr ninety eights yeah. in there rather than K ninety eight. There's some blitzes that get blown up near the end. That's nice. That's the, you know the German Bedford essentially. Um, <laughs> Basically, yeah, this this is good. The only tell is good this week. There's nothing I could really complain there's about. There's some. There's a couple of. Um, there's a couple of like um, scout cars. Yeah, as well so in, in the sequences. Yeah. The there's there's some aerial stuff. I think I think there might be a Mustang or something like that. Maybe a Yak. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, you see the underneath of it, and that's about it. Like when yeah. it's strafe stuff. Um, mm. oh, before we continue, um, there's actually a nice little thing that they do do. I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. But if you know, you know. Um, much like the, the jacket chat I just did there, the depiction of Allied war correspondents is quite good um, in terms of uniform. So you'll see that Robert Mitchum has his US war correspondent flash, um, and there were all different types of variations of those. Some were made, um, you know, personally made by correspondents. Some were issued. He has what seems to be a non-regulation one, but that was common. Um, People did make their own versions. Um, The British correspondent has the British uh, correspondent uh, insignia on his hat, which is like a big C. You can always tell if someone's BBC or someone's British, they have the big C. US have black and yellow um, insignia. Over lockdown, I became a bit of a war correspondent uniform buff, you did yeah. i spent like 50 quid on a really rare book full of their insignia <laughs> a bit men what a bit stir crazy during lockdown um but no really really interesting they all they all looking like they should they're wearing officers like dress you know uh, uh mitchum's wearing more sort of enlisted man uniform but that wasn't uncommon for war correspondents to wear the uniform of the men they were embedded with uh you'll see the famous photo of chester wilmot uh, reporting from arnhem uh, or during the battle for Arnhem, uh, and he's wearing a, a, a Denison smock, things like that. You know, you see Stanley Maxted wearing a, a Denison smock uh, in the famous photo of him and Guy Byam when they came back from Arnhem with the uh, midget uh, recordings underneath their uh, uh, battle dress. So I really like the depiction of, of the war correspondence this week, and I think that's probably one of the strongest film the f- thing the film does. 
Um, and they're treated, yeah. and he's treated like an officer, which is a nice little inclusion because they did have officers. They were essentially civilians, but they were treated like officers. Um, mm. So yeah. there's a nice bit where... I mentioned that before, yeah. Mitchum's looking for to, to go off on, in a Jeep. and he's, a Jeep, isn't he? Yeah, and it's like, get this man a Jeep and a man. That's very common. You just drives off pretty much Rome. do what you want. Yeah. Really good. Film. The only better depiction of a war correspondent in, in war films for me is is Burgess Meredith. We mentioned him at the top of the show um, as only pile, but you know. We should, we should do a war correspondent roundup hep where we talk about we could. Any, any pile, Burgess or Meredith. Even the works um, that they wrote themselves that were turned into films. You've got Richard Tresidis, yeah. uh, Guadalcanal Diary. Obviously mm-hmm. this film is, is one of uh, is, uh, Vaughan's, uh, Vaughan Thomas's film. So yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's definitely something in there. Um, good, good stuff. Moving on. Nice. Uh, Favourite scenes? Shall I kick us off for favourite scenes? Yeah. Right, uh, the beach landing. It's, it's grand. There's loads of troops. There's, yeah, there's LCTs, there's ships. Half decent bit of model work going on. Quite good, yeah. Um, you get the you get the lads on the ships looking over. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a little bit of stock footage from something being used for the um, aerial bomb, uh, the the naval bombardment sequence. Couldn't quite work out I what don't it was. Know. There's a lot of rockets and bits and bombs, yeah. isn't there? You know? I wondered if it was colorized footage from from Normandy or or Salerno because there's there is some good footage. There's a there's a uh, there's a couple of big oh, what's it blooming called. The big picture. It's a couple of those documentaries yeah, that they made yeah. in the 40s um, that, that sometimes you nick, they nick footage from. Um, it, it gives really good scale. There's landing craft tanks unloading patterns, which is nice to see. There is, yeah. Um, as I say, that is quite strong. I think that whole sequence of setting up the invasion, showing the amount of troops that are being loaded onto ships, uh, starts off really well. And you see it, mm. and they, you know, you see the the uh, tanks moving in at the at the, the headquarters uh, where we meet the British uh, commanders. That's nice. But then after that, I think the film falls. The film starts to get, as I say, most times, if, if I don't like the way a film's going, the film gets mudlorp after that yeah. sequence. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, for me, my favourite scene is, it, it harkens back to the beginning of the show where we talked about that big set piece in Rome of where they had all the soldiers on. Uh, really good. I just wish it had been a bit more. My favourite part of that is uh, where Robert Ryan is sat in the Jeep and he gets hit in the face by a bouquet of flowers and he laughs it off. It's the best part. I'm really angry about that after. He just, hand, he just <laughs> Two hands... Two days on this picture and I was hit in the face by a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> there's a, there's a, like a little setup for it as well where like um, there's like an, a staff officer hands a, a little yeah. bouquet of flowers to someone, I think it's a woman, and, and like pushes her forward to like throw them. And she throws them and it's like there's like a a sharp cut and it's just like robert ryan getting hit in the face from the completely (laughs) different side completely different like she throws it from the left he gets hit from the right in the face by this bouquet (laughs) he's just like like, what What?" and he's gonna like smacks and laughs it off yeah well that's my favorite scene oh fair enough that's quite a quick one this week yeah that's as i said i think the main bulk of our issues will come in final thoughts and that's coming right now film of three acts isn't it mm. so clear that, the, that we've done for a while like the movie doesn't flow very well you definitely tell when they've done their big budget 
pieces because that's all you get. So as I've written it here, the invasion, the battle of Sinesta and behind enemy lines, it's a scale, it's a sliding scale of quality. Um, have you seen that? Yeah. Seen that sketch on Family Guy where it goes, look, it's the Disney Stock Exchange ride, and it like it's that graph going down. That's a very random <laughs> reference there. But if it was a graph, it starts quite high right. and it ends quite low. It, yeah, and well, it's it's tonally this film's weird. It's just it's all weird the all the way through. So it begins with like a sixties lounge pop song, um, <laughs> it's like, it's with so Robert Mitchum walking through. US headquarters in I'm guessing mm. somewhere in southern Italy. Yeah. Um I it's thought it so might ill fitting it's there. insane. Might yeah. have been Sicily. Yeah. yeah. It's so fil- it's so ill fitting. It's wild, honestly. It, it just does not fit at all. Um and then it, it, the next bit is like that chandelier sequence where there's a dude swing, swinging a, a yeah. chandelier. Apparently he he had two vertebrae dislodged. Someone threw a full <laughs> can of beer at him. <laughs> Like all the extras were told not to throw full cans, and someone threw a full can, and it dislodged two vertebrae in his neck. Eating a beer at that poor chap. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's hilarious. It's it yeah. Because in that scene, people are throwing things quite hard. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. You know, and to his credit, he finishes the scene. Um, yeah, he does. Yeah, he holds on. Beats the uh, records. Falk's entrance is quite nice. Yeah, quite like that bit. He's good. He's the standout in this, really, isn't he? Starts a big fight. Oh yeah, of course he is. I mean, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but yeah, yeah. Um, I just, I just really did not enjoy this film. (laughs) I'm going to say Matt's like Matt's like me last week with Blood and Gold. If you listened, um, go back. If you didn't, Uh, but yeah, I we were on opposing sides. I don't hate this. I think it has redeeming qualities. Oh, I do. It, no. It's it's. No. I kind of like it in a in a in an in, in a weird way because I like it how that it's essentially a big budget um, spaghetti west spaghetti spaghetti war film um, with the big American stars. I kind of like how it's that, and it has it it, it just it's, there's something about it I can't hate it. Um, I, I, there's something about it I can't like it. Like it's just. <laughs> It's so mad. It's opposite. Because it goes from that introduction, and then we get that quite nice set piece with the beach and the landings and the the, the getting on the LCTs and the getting on the landing ships and then the getting ready to get on the the transport, off the transports into the uh, the landing craft and they go ashore and it's great. And you think, okay, cool, we're going to get some nice set pieces. (laughs) I forgot about the bit with the mines throwing the tiles. Oh, right. Well, let me me refresh your memory about that. (laughs) They would have been completely fine walking through that field because they were anti tank mines. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Should have should have put this up in the alley tally, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Can't I can't mention it now. I didn't mention it earlier. You're not allowed now. <laughs> the rivet mm-hmm. count rivet counter o'clock here. You're not allowed. That's his section. <laughs> so yeah, that, I hate that bit. I just hate it so much. Like I hated no. the set piece. <laughs> And then he, and they oh. skip through the fucking minefield. Oh, Jesus! Like mate. ballet, it's like so. By the time they get shot. to the, by the time they get to the middle of it, he's like literally just sort of like oh. slightly stooping when he's throwing yeah. them, and yeah. the, you know the tiny throws gets completely obliterated. Sequences like the standard for doing minefield sequences. Yeah, um, you know for tension at least. There's no tension in that scene. We should, we should do a. Um, we oh, we forgot a about the flamethrower tank as well. That's cool. That was okay, wasn't it? 
let me let me outline <laughs> how dysfunctional this film in in sort of tone is. I'm just remembering goes... Matt live messaging me. That's John. I got a bed and he was messaging me, being like, "Rob, don't like it. It's too it's too long." That's normally your line. Why? Why did you? Why did you choose this? <laughs> I was like, "It's got to have a varied choice for the Patreons." Oh god! So it starts with obviously what we've just discussed: chandelier, mm. yeah, yeah, awful pop song. Then we get a big set piece landing, great. Then we get a terrible battle where fucking haystacks fall apart and men pop out of them. Cartoon shit. Have you seen? Uh, have you seen? Cartoon Stop that tank. Shit. <laughs> Watch the Disney film "Stop That Tank," made made about the, the boys' anti-tank rifle by Disney for the Canadian Army. One dude is in a in a. That's in an a insane stack. reference off the top of the dome. That's fantastic. But it is. Oh, then after Christ. that, we get we get a terrible like minefield sequence where yeah. um, Mitchum takes command, and then and then. What happens then? Like, I just don't care. Bit where, they go, where it becomes Guns of Navarone, where they like find the Gothic line or whatever it is they're building. Yeah. And they yeah. go off and scout that out. He gets lost and goes to sleep in a fucking barbed wire. I think it's the obstacle. Gustav line you're actually thinking of. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> he, has, he, he falls asleep, wakes up, and then some German guy's like dog is nu- like nudging him and he leads him out of the yeah. out of the, the yeah. barbed wire maze. Which is yeah, you know, that's nice and stuff. Um, character gets killed, and then we get then we get like this weird bit where they're in a crater-filled quarry. <laughs> quarry count um, number two, two weeks right. in a row, <laughs> three and weeks. I don't know. Smash cut half the half the cast that we've been with the whole film is <laughs> dead. dead. <laughs> they just pick them off really quick. Like the, the only guy that gets like a an honourable death is um. It's, I forget who he is because the, those, the guys that aren't Falcor Mitrim are a bit interchangeable, I'm afraid. Yes. Um, character wise, not actor wise, but like characterization, there's just mm. not enough of them, um, not, not enough going on. Um, but the, the guy that gets, um, shoots the German officer sentry to help Mitrim get away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he, he's being searched and he takes the boy's picture. Yeah, and I think he, that's Richardson. Um, yeah. Ma- Mark Damon. I think and that's him. And he fights him. him for the picture. And that's really yeah. quite powerful, actually. I wasn't expecting that. That's it. a nice little a sequence. Well done sequence. You've got the. the, the but it's the, ruined the, by the fact there. that it's got, yeah. got Robert Mitchell and like watching him from the tree line being like, not helping oh, well. him. <laughs> yeah, we can't yeah, do anything. Right. He, hasn't got, he hasn't got a, oh, a no, weapon, I mean. but he's just like, like watching. Just watching me like, oh, yeah, I'll have to write about that later, won't I? Yeah. <laughs> Mitchum is the person in this movie he's just looking at him going this will make a good story I'm like you're a fucking hack Robert you're an absolute hack yeah he never like, makes any notes no it's all, it's all in there it's all up so there all of there isn't it yeah so, oh and then there's that bit in that in the house where they probably get that entire Italian family murdered because then <laughs> they ambush that, some yeah, 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 German yeah. soldiers that come in um, yeah. Falk, Falk gets a a good death because he, he actually has blood like spurt out of his chest which he does was nice. he does and it you know Falk is probably the only person in this film that has any character development because because they, yeah. they set him up as a rambunctious uh nco corporal um he wrote that scene where he's in the back of the truck that's um, funny um where he's like paying off his two um whores that he's been pimping out that, and that making cool. money off 
in the Gives Dodge some money. in the Dodge ambulance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um then later on he has that sequence in the farmhouse where he has the the attack of the um the shrapnel that's still in his gut, which was quite nice. Japan. He, it, yeah, he explains from, he was in the Japanese front. Yeah. Yeah. Um I can't remember exactly where he was. Sorry, he the, the, the Pacific Theatre, not the fucking Japanese front. What am I talking about? <laughs> Um, people know they know what yeah, yeah. you're talking about right i thought that and was cool because I, I was like that makes no sense but i love it like i just think what he was saying i was like what you got and no he's straight up again stomach he's like, no fight. fine let's carry on singing bye bye blackbird because because i like the duality of, of falk being like oh it's cliched and uh, i wanted to rewrite and i didn't like it yet the character he comes up with is horrendously cliched at times like, i just love it like there's something about it in Falk's words, he says, oh. Anzio is not my best example of good acting. While I enjoyed my time in Italy, I felt my career was no longer presenting me with acting challenges. Okay. I think he's all right. He's the redeeming, the redeeming quality yeah. out of this. Yeah. And I, my, own, my biggest gripe is that you don't see the British enough, which I think is a missed opportunity because it's called Anzio. The only time you see the you British see is where they're, they're exposition merchants, where they turn up to go, well, sir, we really should be pushing out of the uh, the beachhead, should we not? Should, should should we should we not be advancing? And and the the American general's like, no, no, we're good. I'm too cool. It just gives it the whole I'm too cool for school. Then you know, overly cautious. Um, not yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, Patrick McGee's there, like chewing the scenery. Like, can we please advance? Like, <laughs> Let's do something. Yeah, exactly. Um, a, no, a film where the Brits are right. Telling yeah. Americans what to so, do. Come on. That'll be said. Get the fucking lead out, boys. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Then patterns. Just get them, get them patterns rolling, boys. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah. I mean, to cut a long story short this week, I I, I like it for the wrong reasons. So I, I understand that it is a flawed picture. Not a lot going on for it. Um, kind of wish that, um, like, Mitchum had been British to, to ode to the original writer. Um, of the mm. source material, I think it would have been an interesting, more nice of an little interesting, role for Stanley Baker there. Oh, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Or um, or David Niven, perhaps. Or Niven, yeah. Niven, yeah. anyone. Or Harry anyone. Andrews, actually. Harry, Harry Andrews, Andrews could have done that. Andrews would have been a good, yeah, mm. good portrayal, um, especially at that time. So yeah, I think it might have some of that ending sort of uh, thing about the duality of it's doing. Fair. It's so that. Uh, let me just cap off my diatribe about this film. <laughs> Before we we talk about the the, uh, the 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 end sequence where he has a chat with the general, like, so we get the we get the weird sniper sequence, which is like in a contextual landscape of zero. It's a quarry with some craters in it, and they're running around and, and people get great. shot and Falk it's dies. Yeah, and then we're supposed to, it's supposed to be this big impactful sequence where Mitchum finally picks up a gun and has to like fight mm. and kill a German um, because the whole push throughout the film has been why do men... he's on a quest to find out why men fight um, mm. and it, we'll talk about the payoff for that in a moment but after that you kind of get this weird wrap up like, segment where it goes um, where it shows a, a completely disjointed very flat combat sequence of US forces breaking through that defensive line that they yeah, discovered yeah. was being built. Yeah. 
and then it's the, too quick. It's too. It's too quick. And then the, well, there's no characters that we've been with. No, that's the what whole I mean. Yeah, it's, it's one too, hour fifty. It's just so in it, that sequence. It feels an afterthought. It's like like second unit shit. You know. Yeah. Oh, totally second unit stuff. Yeah. And then you get the march through Rome. And then the little sequence with the general and the little sequence with um, the sergeant and Mitch and walking off into the sunset. And yeah. it's just, just doesn't work for me. No. You, but, you, yeah. You, like, and that's what I mean. I like it for the wrong reasons. Like any, any real movie worth its salt would have ended on Mitchum's chat with the general. And it would have been like the general's to blame here. Cut. Mm. End. But you get this extra, although the Rome sequence is cool. It just, it's tacked on. I can't, I just, it, it's, a, as I said, I'll repeat myself but as i said flawed film but i like it for all the wrong reasons and i'm really yeah. pleased the patreons chose it because you know um i thought you the chat, said one the chat with the general it, it tries to wrap up that whole question of um why do we fight and as we it's mentioned earlier convoluted really it really is and, and mitchum basically says we fight because we like to and the general's like we like to do we and and mitchum's like yep I don't want to be like, just like, yep, we like to fight. I'll kill again. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I will the, kill again. You know, in the, you know in the Punisher when he's in Deadpool and he's in the dock and he's like, and I'll do it again. And I liked it. Mitchum's doing that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, hey, I think that's it. A, a review of two conflicting opinions again this week. We did it last week. Um, finally, not seeing eye to eye on these films. It's taken a while because usually... <laughs> When we both like, when we like something, we both, you know, we're both pretty in tune. But interesting, the Anzio and Blood and Gold were the films that we. <laughs> oh, Blood and Gold is a much more entertaining film yeah. than Anzio. I've got to say it now. Really? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. My God, fair, stratosphere right fair, there. Fair enough. Well, there you go. The duality, much like Robert Mitchum's speech at the end of Anzio, the duality of man reflected in our review here today. Mm-hmm. So thanks for joining us yet again for another war movie review. Um, coming up on the show, if you've listened this long, um, a little treat. Uh, we will be talking again to the fantastic Dwayne Epstein about his recent book, Killing Generals, all about yeah. the making of the Dirty Dozen. Me and Matt listened to it on a very long drive. Um, on audiobook and I think Matt what a great book we're really looking forward to talking about that one because he mentioned it when we reviewed the Dirty Dozen back in December he was working on it when we uh, when we had him yeah, on the last time as well really, yeah great book guys if you haven't listened to it please go and get a copy um, and yeah we'll be chatting to him soon on the show so look out for that and do join us again next week for another war movie review check out the website fartingonfield.com leave us a review and we'll catch you again thanks for listening bye guys bye Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.